Many thanks for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd. I'm the digital media editor at Heart, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend and collaborator from the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Michelle Williams, who is a clinical lecturer in radiology up in Edinburgh. Michelle, many thanks for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, James. Michelle, I wanted to get you on the podcast, and we've been trying to arrange it for a while, uh, really because your your expertise is in cardiovascular CT, and I'm aware that the field is moving very rapidly, and uh, you've been one of the pioneers with uh, David Newby and others up in Edinburgh, particularly as part of the, the Scott Hart trial, which was, uh, well, you tell me what the Scott Hart trial was about. Thanks. Yeah, it's um, really been a, a great few years for cardiovascular imaging in Edinburgh and the team here has worked really hard. And Scott Hart was one of the really important big studies that came out last year. And it's been a really exciting time for CT imaging in stable chest pain because we now have some really big research studies that show the benefits of using this form of imaging. So Scott Hart looked at the rapid access chest pain clinic and that's a common portal for patients who have stable chest pain, newly diagnosed chest pain of uncertain cause, suspected cardiac cause, and um, we looked at whether a CT scan could be used to better diagnose, better identify, and plan management and treatment. So we looked at 4,100 and, oh, I can never remember quite how many Um, but a lot of patients, and they were randomized one-to-one to to either having a CT scan or standard care, and the standard care included calculation of the assigned score. From that, we um, did CT scans in uh, nearly 2,000 patients. We then um, followed them up with a six-week, a six-month, and then longer-term follow-up using the ISD Scotland data, and we found that in patients who had the CT scan, we improved the certainty of the diagnosis, we changed diagnoses, and we also changed the management the patients have. So we changed the management from the point of view of changing, either starting or cancelling prescriptions for aspirins, for statins, and we changed who might have um, revascularization, such as uh, stents or bypass grafting, and there was a small a difference between the groups in terms of their outcomes um, from the point of view of who had revascularization. But also importantly, there was a difference in the outcome of mortality and um, admission with myocardial infarction in the patients who had CT coronary angiograms. And it was a really exciting year for CT coronary angiography because at the same time as Scott Hart trial came out, the PROMISE trial came out. The PROMISE was done in America with 10,000 patients, a slightly different sort of um, patient grouping in that there were uh, more of the low-risk patients, and they compared CT versus functional testing, and they showed no difference in outcomes of mortality between the groups, highlighting that both are potentially safe options for treatment. So now we've got these two big trials that have shown um, that CT is a, a safe option. We've got um, CT as a useful option. And we've also managed to show more recently that using a CT changes 
the management and that change in management can then go on to lead to improvements in mortality and reductions in myocardial infarction. So overall, it's been a very exciting year for Scott Hart, and I'm sure there'll be more information coming out of Scott Hart over the next few months and years as well. We've done some some work into the health economics of a CT-guided approach versus other approaches. Is, is that work that's been published already, or is that something that's in the pipeline still, Michelle? Yes, so there's been some initial work from both Scott Hart and Promise on the health economics of this uh, treatment option. And it's interesting because CT isn't a hugely expensive scan, a hugely expensive study, but it does cost compared to just doing something like the assigned score. When it comes to the alternatives, however, for the individual patient, it might be something such as a nuclear medicine scan, an MRI scan, or an invasive coronary angiogram all of which have uh, higher costs and potentially much higher with the invasive coronary angiogram option. So CT is on the, the cheaper end of that list of tests. Obviously, the exercise tolerance test is, is cheaper still, but we know that the diagnostic accuracy of that and the clinical utility of that is limited. So CT is poised at a point where it could be a very useful test from the health economic point of view. From the... Um, point of view of Scott Hart, we looked at some basic health economic analysis that was published as part of the um, most recent Jack paper that we published. And we found that uh, there was a difference in cost between the two groups with the CT arm being slightly more expensive. But this cost was really the cost of doing the CT scan itself. So that's the sort of um, big difference between the two groups. It's really the cost of doing that extra test. Um, rather than related to more increased downstream testing, which had initially been thought might happen. And they've done similar things in Promise, and they found that the CT arm was just slightly more expensive than the um, invasive coronary angiography arm, but the difference between the two was around about um, that same sort of level of cost. Uh, And that has important implications for planning um, of our uh, guidelines. So the NICE, um, most recent NICE guidelines, which are currently undergoing an update, they've published a very interesting draft just recently that does a very extensive health economic analysis. And one of the interesting things is, is that the real advantage of CT is that the cost is lower than the other imaging modalities. And when you add that into the different models, that comes out with some very interesting results. So, Michelle, you mentioned their guidelines and how this new data, these uh, large studies that you've been working on, might feed into the latest guidelines. I know there are some draft United Kingdom NICE guidelines which are available at the moment for public consultation. Is there any of your work that you think might make it into the next iteration of the guidelines, which are due very soon? Yes, the next iteration of the guidelines are very interesting. So, this isn't full update. This is just uh, update of one specific part of the guidelines. And it's very much looking at um, the uh, treatment choice from the point of view of the patients who have stable chest pain, what investigations or management do you do first? Okay. And it's interesting in that they've taken a lot of different data into account for the health economic analysis but not necessarily things like Promise and Scott Hart, which are are looking at um, 
outcomes, the whole of the testing guidelines focuses very much on diagnostic accuracy. Okay. The big change in the guidelines is that instead of recommending risk stratification, the guideline um, says that many more people than previously would have been recommended, and they're now recommending having a CT coronary angiogram. So that is going to presumably have a knock-on effect in terms of downstream planning for radiographer numbers, for capacity, for number of scanners. Yes, so there's a number of big issues that we need to think about. So scanner numbers, how many have cardiac uh, scanning ability, uh, availability of radiographers, availability of radiologists or cardiologists, um, availability at the time of scanning and also for reporting. And then we also have uh, big issues from the point of view of training. And I, I think that one of the big important things is that CT coronary angiography is part of the curriculum for both cardiology and radiology trainees. But delivering that has been a challenge until recently. And we're really going to have to think about how we deliver training on a local level with more in the way of web-based learning to really get people up to scratch. Because at the end of the day, this isn't the most difficult um, thing to report, but it's important that it's reported correctly and in a timely manner. And that's, that's where, when it comes to patients who've come up with a suspected um, chest pain of cardiac origin, we want these tests done in a pr- an appropriate time, short waiting list, and reported rapidly. So there's a lot of things that we need to think about. And as with any change in the NICE guidelines, this isn't going to be something that happens uh, rapidly overnight, but it's something that we need to all be working towards. We all know that we need to do more in the way of CT coronary angiograms in this country. We lag behind most other countries in Europe um, in terms of both uh, scanner resourcing and uh, reporting abilities. And this is just another one to add to the list of things that we really need to be thinking about and sorting out. Okay. And let, for the last couple of minutes of the podcast, let's get a bit more technical um, in terms of other things that uh, CT coronary angiography can do, uh, as well as, of course, excluding or ruling in important heart disease. Uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about CT uh, FFR and the use of CT for uh, perfusion imaging and fibrosis imaging. Perhaps you could just pick one of those that you think is uh, most exciting and give us a couple of minutes on the, the state of play. Yeah, but CT is very interesting because it can do so much more than just look at the coronary arteries. You can, in one rapid diagnostic test, get information on the anatomy, on the function of the heart, on perfusion, and on viability. Um, A lot of my research has been on CT myocardial perfusion imaging, and I've looked at the diagnostic accuracy of that, like many people have, to the standard gold standards of um, FFR or MRI, And I also looked at oxygen-15 as um, the gold standard. Oxygen-15 labeled water uh, PET imaging is the gold standard for myocardial perfusion imaging because it has 100% extraction fraction because you're injecting radioactive water. And so it's a really good gold standard for perfusion imaging. And when we compared our CT perfusion imaging to the oxygen-15, we got very good results. If there is a um, perfusion defect on the oxygen-15 scan, we saw it on the CT perfusion scan. And interestingly, we highlighted the importance of the stress perfusion scan compared to just the rest perfusion imaging alone. So that's a really exciting avenue. And 
The next thing for CT perfusion imaging is dynamic perfusion imaging. Most of the work so far has been done with static images where you take one image, a snapshot image looking at the heart, kind of like a photograph at the peak of a stress and at the peak of contrast enhancement. But because the radiation dose is coming down across the board in CT scans, we're able now to have a look at dynamic perfusion imaging, looking at that wash in and wash out of contrast, similar to you would do in MRI imaging. Okay. And that is going to be interesting in the future. I think mm. one thing people often forget is that um, fibrosis and late enhancement was actually first identified on CT scans before it was ever used in MRI. Really? With, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very early on. It was actually a paper from Edinburgh was one of the very early ones, which is interesting as well. Um, when it comes to gadolinium, it's always going to be better uh, from a contrast to noise ratio point of view than IDA contrast and a CT scan. But, there's a lot of people who can't or won't go into an MRI scanner. So CT imaging is actually a useful thing to do for those patients who you have no other option, but you want some form of viability or fibrosis imaging um, in these patients. The resolution isn't as good. So small areas might be difficult to pick up, but these sort of questions is really going to be about the bigger areas um, of um, late enhancement. Um, and the other thing we always have to remember now is that we have got some concerns about gadolinium toxicity that we don't know the full details or effects of yet. So we always have to think cautiously about these things and work out if there's other alternatives. So fibrosis imaging is on CT, we're currently using as a last-ditch resort, we can't do anything else, um, or as a, a research um, tool. And I think there's going to be more interest in, in that over the next few years as well. Fantastic. Well, I think we'll 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 finish there. We'll park, as they say, CT FFR, perhaps for a part two, and also for next others, time. Exactly. Other other uh, interesting areas we will touch on would be things like, uh, as you alluded to, the reduction in radiation dose, which is uh, recently available with the latest generation of scanners, uh, getting the dose really way down below two or three millisieverts, which is fantastic. So once again, thank you very much, Michelle, for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. I will put some links to papers published uh, in uh, Heart and also elsewhere um, in, in the links uh, below this podcast. Thanks very much indeed, Michelle. Thanks very much for having me, and I look forward to coming back for part two.